are kicking off a new series called Seasons. And I am so excited about it. Last series, Four Days of Love, was awesome. I so loved it. And I know many of you loved it as well. God really challenged us. Well, that's not going to change. In this new series, Seasons, I think we're going to be challenged just as much. Here's the thing. We live in a world that is changing so rapidly that, it's, that, that most of us can't even comprehend it. We can't even imagine it. You think about 20 years ago and all the things that have changed over the past 20 years. It's almost unimaginable. Our identity, our roles, gender definitions, truth, right? Even reality is up for grabs, if you will, and politically charged. We all know that. In this series, um, I want to look at God's design for the family, and for the individual as we move through the seasons of our lives. We're all in a season of our lives right now, and those seasons will change. We're in a cultural change, a season of cultural change as well. And it's difficult sometimes as a follower of Christ to kind of know how to adapt to that culture, to times where we can say, well, that's a good cultural change and I can go along with that. And other times we say, well, that's not acceptable as a believer in Jesus Christ to go along with those types of cultural changes. This is going to be one of those series where I definitely think I'm going to step on everyone's toes, um, including my own. Um, I want to talk about what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. Okay. In this culture. What it truly means as a, as a follower of Jesus Christ, what does it mean? What is the Bible talking when it says being a man? What does that mean? What does it mean to be a woman? What is a Christian's purpose and place in this world? How do we find our place in this world? There's a few questions that we're going to have to answer as we go through this series, and I'm going to ask them right up front here. And the first question that we all need to answer is, who is the Lord of our lives? You think, well, that's not a very deep question. Oh, yes, it is. Write that down. Commit it to memory. Ask yourself the question all week long and be honest. Who, okay, or what, if you will, is the Lord of my life? Who is the Lord of my life? What dictates my ideology? Because so many people have now, they just have an ideology. What dictates that ideology? What dictates your cultural positions on issues? What dictates um, your actions? Another question we have, to, we have to kind of wrestle through is, where do we find our identity? Where do, we, where do you find your identity? You know, people will say, if you ask them that question, well, I'm a Democrat, or I'm a Republican, or I'm an independent, or I'm a progressive, or I'm a libertarian, or I'm conservative, Right? I'm more liberal, whatever the case may be. Uh, Some people find their identity in their sexuality. That's how they find their identity. We need to ask ourselves, where do we find our identity? Here's what I would like you to do throughout this, starting now and throughout the series. And this is a, a, this is going to be a mental discipline that some people will find very difficult as we go through this series to, to grasp and to truly understand what I'm even asking. But I need everyone to put away your labels, okay, to put away your labels, to put away your preconceived ideas and focus on scripture. Focus on the word of God. That's my challenge. Put away your labels, 
Put away your preconceived ideas, put away your ideologies, if you will, and focus on the word of God. If you're a believer, if you say, I am a Christian, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, then my friends, that's your only option. That is really our only option. What does the word of God say about the seasons of our lives? About me as a person, my identity, my role, my responsibility. What does the word of God say? If you're a believer, that's our only option. Because that's how we learn to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. That's how we learn to love our neighbor as ourselves. We learned so much during our series 40 Days of Love. It was challenging. This was not easy. How do you love someone who has wronged you, right? We we had to answer that question. How do we love and give without expecting anything in return? These are all difficult questions to answer. They help us to conform to the image of Jesus Christ, but they're very difficult to wrestle through. And the only way we can accomplish any of what we've talked about over the last like three or four or five months is that we know, understand, study, and apply the word of God to our lives. So put away your labels, put away your, pre, your preconceived ideas, put away your, 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 your ideologies, if you will, and let's focus, as if we're calling ourselves followers of Jesus, let's focus on what the word of God has to say. See, the other question that we need to ask is, as we go through this, who does God say that I am? Okay, who who does God say that I am? See, we this is extremely important as we go through this. The understanding that we all need to be living to an audience of one. If you're living to an to our cult to the cultural audience, you're going to be you're, every few years you're going to be switched back and forth. It's like it's like being on a raft with no oars. You're just going to get washed around wherever the tide takes you. We need to understand, we need to answer those questions. Who does God say that I am? If we don't know who we are, then we're not going to be able to see God move in the seasons, in the roles of our lives, the different roles. We change as I get older, as you know, you're younger, as you get older, your roles, your responsibilities, all those things begin to change. And you will not be able to see God in the seasons of your life if you don't know who you are. If you don't understand who you are, we're going to struggle with understanding our culture and our place, if you will, finding our place in it. If we don't know who we are, we are really going to struggle with understanding our culture from a biblical perspective and even finding our place in it. What is my place in this culture? Why has God put me here? What is God expecting me to do? How is God expecting me to interact with the people around me who may totally disagree with me? And again, we learned how to love people who totally disagree with us during 40 days of love. 
But what was our foundation? Our foundation was the word of God. It wasn't our feelings. It wasn't our experiences. It was the word of God. Sometimes we, it's, it's just flat out being obedient to what God has called us to do. And then what I also want you to do is learn, if you will, learn how to, to take what you're experiencing or learning in this, during this time, during this season series, and apply it to the lives of the people around you. How do we interact with the people around us? Once we know who we are, who's the Lord of our lives, what has he called us to be and do, then we can apply that. We can share that truth with the people around us. Now, I need to lay a foundation for this series, and I'm going to do that by looking at 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 19 through 21. Okay? So now this is kind of a tongue twister a little bit because I'm going to be talking about Elijah and Elisha, okay? So if I mess them up once in a while, you have to give me a little bit of grace because it, it's, you know, even studying it was, it was difficult. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was, he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and my mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? And now that, that we'll, we're going to talk about that next week and what that means. So Eli, Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burnt the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Today in part, this is a two-part sermon, okay? Today in part one of this sermon, I need to give you a little background and a little bit of history. Because if we're going to be looking at the life of Elijah and Elisha, you have to understand where they're coming from, what they were going through. And I think we can relate to what they're going through. As their culture, as their, as their nation changes, as their culture changes, and all the things they had to endure. The book of First and Second Kings is the history of the nation of Israel, okay, from the time of Solomon through the division of the, the, the nation. It was, it was divided, if you will. The fall of the northern kingdom in 722 B.C. and the Assyrian captivity, and then the, the fall of the southern kingdom in 586 B.C. and the, the Babylonian captivity. So the, the nation was divided, you had this divided nation. You had the southern kingdom of Judah, okay, that was made up of the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. And then you had the, the northern tribe of Israel made up of the other ten remaining tribes. So you have this division. Imagine the cultural change that were going on. You have the Assyrian captivity, you have the Babylonian captivity, and it was into this northern kingdom that... Um, Elijah and Elisha are serving. Now, here's the other thing. The, 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 the northern kingdom was, basically was different. It was different. The southern kingdom had a few, they had good kings. There were good kings that were trying to follow after the Lord their God. And they were trying to bring about uh, spiritual reformation, transformation, if you will. So they tried to implement things to change, change things back. The northern kingdom, on the other hand, was totally different. The kings were evil, 
These were evil kings. And again, it was into this part of the kingdom, okay, this separated kingdom, northern kingdom, where we find Elijah, Elijah and Elisha serving God. Can you imagine what they were going through? Can you imagine the kind of people they had to be to function in this type of culture where the, where the, where the, the kings were evil? The kings were evil. They were, they, were, they were worshiping false gods. And so you have these prophets, these two, these two incredible prophets, standing for truth in a culture of total corruption and godlessness. They clearly understood. Honestly, this is why the, answering those first few questions is so important, okay? They clearly understood their identity, their calling, and their purpose. These two prophets stood for truth, going through everything they had to face. The cultural, the culture was going off the deep end. They were, you know, like I said, worshiping false gods. And these two prophets had to stand up under all of that pressure because, and they did because they understood their identity, they understood their calling, and they understood their purpose. If you're trying to follow Jesus Christ in 2018, I believe that you can relate. Sometimes it gets very lonely trying to follow Christ in this culture, in our culture. I, and I've talked to other people about this, and they, they feel the same way. I have a difficult time recognizing the difference between a believer and an unbeliever in this culture sometimes. The way we, the way we talk, the way we behave, the, the way we think. If you look at statistics... Believers in Christ and non-believers have the same view on a lot of cultural issues that are that are that they shouldn't. I mean, it's clearly laid out in Scripture what we need to hold to, what the truth is. But you have people saying, "I'm a follower of Jesus. I am a Christian," having the exact same views as people who don't. They basically deny Christ. So it's easy to feel alone, and that's the way Elijah was feeling. He was feeling alone. During this season, it seemed like everyone else, I mean, all of his people had lost their identity of being the people of God. I mean, they, you know, here you are, here you are as this prophet, and you're hanging on to God's word. You're trying to be obedient, and everyone around you, they've kind of lost their identity. They've lost their, their identity of being the people of God. I mean, this was the nation of Israel. And all of a sudden, people are, are now they're worshiping false gods, and people are confused. So... Elijah tries to turn the people back, and what he does is he picks a fight, if you will, with, with the evil king Ahab and his prophets. And you remember the story, right? He, gets, he, he challenges the king to bring all his prophets out, and he says, you know, you build your sacrifice over here, and, and I'll build my sacrifice over here, and you call on your gods, and then I'll call on my gods, and we'll see who wins this battle. Even during that, the people of Israel weren't like siding with Elijah. They were kind of waiting to see what was going to happen. But Elijah, this is the thing, and this is where I write this down, write this down, okay? Because this is, this is something we all need to address. Elijah says to the people of Israel in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21, he says, How long will you waver between two opinions? How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. Get, get a, stop walking the fence. 
Stop putting one foot in the world and one foot in the church. Stop. He basically is saying, how long are you going to waver between two opinions? Make a choice. Either follow the, if the Lord your God is the God of the universe, then follow, and he says, follow him. Give your heart. Give your life. He dictates the destiny of your life. If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, then follow him, but make a decision. Don't be wishy-washy, in other words. Don't be lukewarm, in other words. This is what Elijah is saying to the people. During this series, we need to answer the same question. How long, honestly, church, this is what we need to, I need to answer it, we all need to answer it. How long will we waver between two opinions? We get carried along. Culture changes. We turn on wrong with it. Well, I know someone who this, or I've talked to that person, and I feel this, and I've read this, and I've read that, and I feel this, and I feel that, and this is my experience. And so we, we waver between two opinions. What does the Word of God say? The problem here is, okay, here's the problem. We don't know what the Word of God says. So you get some theologian for t- over 2,000 or longer when it comes to the Old Testament Theologians, okay, throughout history have believed this, about the, that the Bible says this about this particular topic. Some knucklehead, I'm sorry, comes along, some, some, the, some theologian in 2018 comes along and decides that's not what it says now. What it really says is, and we go right along, is, is that really true? No, it's not true at all. The guy has his own ideology, most likely doesn't even believe in God and is trying to tell us what scripture says. That goes against every great theological mind of all time, and we're confused. And we, we're confused. How long will we waver between two opinions? If God is God, then we follow him. If he's not, then don't. It's as simple as that. That's what Elijah is saying. We need to decide if we're going to follow the world's wisdom or God's word, it's as simple as that. Okay, let's jump back into chapter 19, verse 19. Elijah, Elijah's ministry didn't end with the calling of Elisha. It, does, it doesn't end there. Elisha became the attendant or the student of Elijah. After God had spoken to him on Mount Horeb, after he spoke to him, um, Elisha became his student. He became that. He became Elisha's student. Elijah began to min, a ministry of, if you will, discipleship or mentorship to Elisha. Now, this relationship really went both ways. Obviously, Elijah was investing in Elisha and building him and strengthening him. He was a student and he was teaching him different things. But I am sure that Elisha was an, an, an incredible encouragement, okay, was an incredible encouragement and comfort to his teacher. Like I said, there was a season, okay, Elijah, Elijah was going through a season where he was feeling like he was alone. He was feeling all alone, especially, you think about it, especially 
with his encounter with Queen Jezebel. You remember that? I, I, you go back and read all this, but um, we'll, we'll touch on it again in the future. But Jezebel was the queen. She was, uh, you know, she just uh, was, she was opposed to the Lord God. So Elijah says, hey, let's have a, let's have a challenge. You bring all your prophets, and they're all out there cutting themselves up and bleeding all over the place and calling on their God. Nothing happened, and Elijah is taunting them, okay? He then calls down the Lord God, and the Lord God sucks up the, 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 the sacrifice, not only a sacrifice, but even the water that was in the ditch that he poured in there, sucked it all up. It was bone dry. And at the end, those, those prophets are all kind of slain, and, uh, and Elijah, Elijah wins the battle. But Jezebel wasn't happy. She starts chasing after him. And it was during that time that he felt so overwhelmed. He felt so alone. But God told him that there were 7,000 others Okay, others that did not bow their knees to false gods and was encouraging him. There were, there were several schools of prophets that were, that were still alive and they were hiding out in caves. They were afraid to, to step out and share and basically um, speak on behalf of God. Do you ever feel like uh, when you're at school at work that you're alone? You, ever, you, you know, you're, you're walking to your office and you're the only person with that opinion. Everybody else, even if they or you're the only person with that opinion, um, and even people will, will would hold to your position, they won't say anything. They're afraid because they're either they're aggressively shouted down, or they're they're shamed, or they're attacked for being a hater, or whatever the case may be. And so you just they just kind of keep it to themselves. Have you ever been at work or been at school and you felt like you were completely alone? Like you're the only one, honestly, you're the only person, you feel like you're the only person who's still standing for God. I know our college students feel that way. I know they do. They go into the university, they go in, they may have a biblical worldview, and that biblical worldview is not accepted by their professors at all. They can't even share it without being attacked and belittled and maligned. And, and you know, they, want, they, they basically will attack the person's worldview. And you feel like you're the only person in your class. You're the, you're the only person in your high school who actually is standing up for God's truth. See, what I love about this story is that God reminded Elijah who was in control. And once he reminded Elijah who was in control, Elijah then went around to all these different schools that were hiding in caves and started teaching them with Elisha. They got together and they started teaching. God gave him what he needed. God got him, again, alone and said, hey, I'm here. I'm in control. It may look like 2018, everything's going haywire. It may look like your whole worldview is blown up in your face and that things are slipping off the deep deep end. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to remind you once again, like God reminded Elijah, that he is in control. He's in control. At the end of the day, when this all ends, it ends the way God says it's going to end. God is in control. And so he encouraged him. So Elijah and Elisha went and started teaching in these schools. And what else I love, what I love about this story also is that it's packed with lessons about, about the seasons of life that we go through. We are in a season of life right now. We move to different seasons. And this whole story is packed with lessons that we can learn about these different seasons that we go through. See, we serve a God 
who works to restore and renew our lives. Elijah needed to be restored. He needed to be renewed. He was so beat up after Jezebel, after, you know, that big battle with all those prophets and everything. You're on top of the world. Next thing you know, you're running for your life and you feel like you want. And he said, I just want to die. At one point, Elijah just said, you know, I'm tired. I don't want to do this. I just want to die. You know, I'm beat up. I, I, I fought the good fight, and I, and I feel like my race has ended. I just want to die. See, his desire, God's desire, is to put us back on track when we drift away. That's what he was doing with Elijah. You know, he was going through that season of life, and when we go through the seasons of life where we're really struggling, God's desire is to put us back on track. It's to remind us of our identity. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a person belonging to God, right? That's who we are. And God reminds us of our identity, tells us, reminds us. When he gets us alone and we can just listen to him, he tells us who we are. And when the darkness begins to, to dim our light, God, God helps us to break through that. You know, I think sometimes, like these prophets were hiding in this cave, I was thinking to myself, is that what we do sometimes? We make our faith, it's, it's, my faith is personal. It's personal. So I keep it to myself. I hide it in a cave. Remember the song that you used to sing when you were in Sunday school class? Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to... Right? These guys were hiding it in a cave. You see, God restores us when the darkness of the world dims our light. God is there to restore and to renew our faith. And he will do that. He will give us what we need. We're not so different from Elijah. We're, we're not so different. We find ourselves, we all do, right? I can sit down with any of you. You find yourself sometimes, if you're trying to walk with Christ, discouraged. You find yourself depressed. You find yourself frustrated. You find yourself lonely in this life. I mean, you feel like you're all alone. There are so many times where I'm, I'm, I'm amongst a group of Christians somewhere. I'm at a conference or something, and I'm wondering to myself, am I the only one? who thinks that getting wasted at this conference, and I'm talking at a Christian conference, is wrong? Like I'm the only one who's not getting drunk here? It, 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 I, I scratch my head and I feel, like, uh, I'm, I feel alone. I know, that, I know exactly what the Word of God says about some of these things. And I find myself sitting going, Am I, is something wrong with me? Am I missing? Is there a new script? Has there a new revelation come into the Word of God that I've somehow missed? It's incredible. We feel that. We feel lonely. We feel discouraged. We feel frustrated. But God is committed to strengthening our faith. He's committed to strengthening our faith and bring, bringing about restoration to our lives. God gave Elijah exactly what he needed when he needed it. And the guy's name was Elisha. And God will give you just what you need during those times of spiritual frustration, during those times of spiritual struggle, during the times where you feel like you're being pushed into the cave and putting the rock there, if you will, to keep you in your place. During those times, it, that's when God gives you exactly what you need to follow after him. He brings light even in the darkness, God brings that light. Okay, so let's dig a little bit deeper. 
Verse 19 continues. He was, he was plowing with the 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. This verse tells us that Elisha, that Elisha was most likely a person who came from a wealthy family. Okay? He came most likely from a, a wealthy family. That means... Okay, that means if he chose to follow God's call in his life, that it was going to cost him considerably. It would be a considerable financial loss for him to follow God's call in his life. He had it. He had it going. I mean, seriously, he had come from wealthy family, had all the things he needed, pretty, pretty much a life that was a little easier than than most people's. And he would have to give those things up in order to follow after God's call in his life. So before he jumped, he had to count the cost. And if you read this, if you, if you read it and you keep delving in, what you find is he counted the cost all right, but it wasn't the day that Elijah came and threw his cloak over him. That wasn't when he counted the cost. He counted the cost even before that. Because when Elijah came over and threw the cloak over, he was ready to move forward. So he had already counted the cost. He had already been living for God. That was his desire, to live for God. He was willing to count the cost. You know, I read this quote by Robert H. Goddard. It says this, The reason many people fail is not for their lack of vision, but for their lack of resolve. And the resolve is born out of counting the cost. Elisha would be giving up financial security, okay, to follow God's call in a time of intense spiritual battles, warfare. So he was giving up an easier life, and he was willing to do that because he was willing, he already counted the cost and was willing to take the risk. He had counted the cost and he was willing to take the risk. And it gets even better. Elisha responds responds in verses 20 and 21, show us that he was a man of faith. That's what I was just saying. I love this about him. It shows us that he was a man of faith, that God had chosen the right person. Because when the time came, he counted the cost, he took the risk, he served his Lord. He stepped out. He wasn't wavering between false gods and his God. He knew his God and he was going to follow his God regardless of the outcome, regardless of the cost. He counted it and it was worth it and he took the risk and he stepped out and he followed his God. From his response, we can see this man had an eternal perspective. He had an eternal perspective. He was a person who lived out God's truth. He loved the Lord as God and he lived out his truth. He was willing to sacrifice a life of peace, if you will, a life of security, if you will. More importantly, he was willing, and this is important for all of us, more importantly, he was willing to move from one season to the next. All of us are in a season of our lives right now. Some, not so good. The question is, are we willing? Am I willing to move from one season? Of my, am I, I may be comfortable in my season, and you may not even ever know the difference if I move from one season to another. I'm, here's where I am on this plateau in my, spiritual, in my spiritual walk. I just stay in this season. It's comfortable. I, got, I understand what I understand, and I'm, I'm growing. You know, I'm, I'm good, I'm good. 
But am I willing to move from where I am now to a different season in my life as God calls me to move? It may be something more challenging that God wants me to do. Are we willing to move from one season in our lives to another? Are you willing to leave a season of addiction? Are you willing to leave a season of bitterness and anger? Are you willing to leave a season of fear? Hey, are you willing to leave a season of comfort? You need to decide that now because God will come and God will call. He will knock and it won't be the time when he's knocking that you need to answer the question. The time to answer the question is now. Am I willing to do what God calls me to do when God calls me to do it? We need to decide that now. We need to decide that we are willing when Jesus comes and says, come and follow me. We drop our nets and are willing to follow him because we've already counted the cost of following him. That's what God is calling us to do. If, If you look a little deeper into the text, you also get a clue of what kind of man Elisha was, what kind of man he was. I mean, the Bible is so awesome. It is so awesome. Talking about different seasons of life. How do you move through seasons of life? And here's a masterful story of how you move from one season to the next. So this this text, as we read through it, gives us a clue as to what kind of man Elisha was. Now, he may have come from wealth, but this man was not afraid of hard work. He may have been wealthy, but that didn't make him lazy. You know, you say, well, wealthy people are not lazy people. Well, no, I'm not saying they are. Obviously, they got wealthy because they're hardworking and and they worked really hard to get there. But the next generation after the hardworking guy, I don't know, can be, they can can get lazy, right? Fall back into it, right? You know, Pop's a billionaire. I fall and now I'm a billionaire. Uh, You know, maybe it takes away some of that, you know, that that aggressive gumption that you need in order to, you know, to, to accomplish what God has called you to accomplish. That was not Elisha. He was a hard worker. He didn't just watch people work hard. He was in the fields with the other field hands doing the work. He had the oxen in front of him. He was pushing the 12th one. So he was out in the field working. He understood. What I'm saying is he had already developed the kind of character necessary for leadership. This is so important. He, he was ready for God's call in his life. He already started developing the kind of character that was necessary for, for him to be a leader, for him to be God's prophet. When God called him in, he was, he was ready. He built character. He'd been reading the word of God. He knew the word of God. He knew, he knew his God. And when he, God called him, so he knew that he was wet, ready and willing to follow God. But he also had built in different characteristics into his life that made him a better leader. I think that's part of the problem with our country. And I am not being political at all. Okay. I'm stating a general fact that you would all agree with, regardless of what political background you come from. In many cases, we have people leading the country who have never led before. 
They have never truly led. I was a youth pastor before I became senior pastor of Grace Chapel. Many things that I learned as a youth pastor, many people that, I, that invested in my life, business people, other pastors who were older than I, they invested in me, and I, I learned from them. I led the students. I learned how to lead, if you will. Many people who are in places now have never actually led. The problem is they're leading everything, and that sometimes becomes an issue. We have people making financial decisions who have never disciplined themselves to do their own budget, let alone the budget of an entire country. And you wonder why we're $20 trillion in debt. And that is not from one party or the other, okay? Elisha prepared himself for leadership, We have people making decisions on regulations who have never started a business or worked a regular job. That becomes very difficult to understand what regulations will do to a business or people working a regular job. Many people, many don't have the value of hard work. They don't know the value of hard work or the stress of starting something from nothing. It is very difficult, my friends. And so many of you know this. You know the stress. You know the difficulty. You know the challenge. You know what it takes to start something from nothing. It's hard to lead others when you don't have that leadership skill. Hard work changes. Elisha was a hard worker. Hard work changes and teaches us. It gives us wisdom. When I was in high school, when I was younger and I was in high school, there was a bowling alley that was close to our apartment complex. Two guys, Harry and Jerry, would keep the bowling alley open for after hours, which was it was really illegal because they were they would pay the guy who owned the bowling alley to keep the bowling alley open so they could bowl and bet thousands of dollars against each other. Everybody else got in there and bet what they had. So if you had thousands, you bet thousands. If you had hundreds, you bet hundreds. If you had me, I was like ten bucks. Okay, but I bet ten bucks. I bet my friend. He bet Harry. I bet on Jerry. Stay up all night doing this. Tell my mom. I'm, she, she knows the stories already, but she always, she always gets upset when I tell them. You didn't tell me that. So I would tell my mom I'm sleeping over Don's house, and Don would sleep over my house, and we'd stay out all night at the bowling alley. And we'd bet. You know, what I, you know why I stopped gambling? You know why I stopped gambling? I got a job at Exxon. They paid me three thirty-five an hour. I had to work three hours for that 10 bucks. And all of a sudden, I'm holding my 10 bucks in my hand going, I don't think so. <laughs> Three hours of hard work, scrubbing the oil off the thing, picking up cigarette butts, going out there and doing all the things we had to do. 3.35 an hour. I'm not wasting 10 bucks on these knuckleheads bowling. I, 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 right? Hard work teaches you wisdom. It gives you wisdom. And that's what Elisha had. That's what he had. We live in an entitlement culture, but getting something for nothing does not develop the skills necessary to lead and to grow. Elisha was a leader and he was growing. He was a great leader because he grew. He understood. He worked hard. We know that about the man. In verse 19, it continues. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. The cloak automatically, automatically marked him as a prophet and a spokesman for God. Okay, automatically. It was also a symbol of commitment and of sacrifice. This was God's call on his life. It was God's call. It was a call to a new season. 
God was calling him to a new way of thinking. He had strengthened himself. He was prepared. And now God was calling him out of the season that he was in, pretty comfortable, into a different season. And God was preparing him inside and God was preparing him out. The life of a prophet was challenging. He would have to give up his life of ease. He would have to now give that up. God calls us, my friends, he calls all of us. From chasing after worldly happiness to desiring God's holiness. You know, you say, what's my goal in life? My goal in life is to be happy. I hear that all the time. I want to be happy. You know, I want to be happy too. But more than that, I want peace, joy, and contentment in my life. My life, I I promise you with all my heart, my life is not based on me being happy. My goal is that I would be holy. God's more concerned about my holiness than he is my happiness. So we need to stop chasing after worldly happiness and start seeking after God's holiness. From, we need to start seeking not our own pleasure, but God's purpose for our lives. It's not about just seeking out pleasure. It's about seeking out God's purpose for our lives. Uh, it's really a call to stop fighting um, for, 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 for cultural causes and start fighting for God's kingdom. I, wa- I look at Facebook sometimes and I see people go to college and they start getting all wrapped up in these social causes and everything that honestly are not biblical, but they are passionate about it. It is time to start giving up your social causes that are not biblical and start following God and fighting for God's kingdom. It stopped us, it's time to stop thinking and living by cultural labels and social causes and start following the Lord. Lord, remember a challenge again. I'm going to say it again. Here's the challenge. How long will you waver between two opinions? There is one opinion. I claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. If I claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, this is my opinion. This is my opinion. Understand that. Life is so much simpler when someone comes to me and says, I have a problem. Bing, 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 bing. My first, my mind goes directly to the word of God. What does the word of God say about that person's problem? Now it gets difficult when I actually have to tell them what the word of God says about their problem, but it's not difficult. This is what God's word says. I know this is hard. I, I know I'll walk you through this and blah, but this is your, this is a choice you need to make as a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not difficult. I don't go, well, my uncle was in that situation and he basically, and I feel and my perspective and I had an experience. Those are all good. My feelings, my experiences, all, they're all wonderful. But if they oppose the word of God, how long, how long, my friends, will I linger? Will I go between two different mindsets? How long will I do that? How long will I waver between two opinions? That's what he's saying. If the Lord is God, follow him. If he's not, then don't. Don't. Listen, it is okay to be a Republican or a Democrat. It is totally fine to be either one of those things insofar as those titles don't conflict with Scripture. Hear me, I'm going to say that again. It is absolutely fine. You can call yourself a Republican or a Democrat. Totally fine. As long as those titles that you put on yourself don't conflict with the word of God. Ideology does not trump theology. Period. This is what God's word says. And the problem is, and I love you all to death, and I, I'm not saying this. i got to be calm so I don't come off aggressive. Okay? I love you all to death. Here's the problem. You don't know the word of God. So you're confused. 
So you, so you waver between two opinions. You know why you waver between two opinions? Because you don't know what the Word of God says. You don't know God's opinion. And the problem is God's opinion is the only one that matters because that's truth. Everything else, chasing after the wind. Who cares? doesn't matter. It comes, it goes. One culture says this, another culture says that. This year, that's, this is the truth. That Next year, that's the truth. Everything's relative. In the Word of God, it's the truth now. In 2,000 years, it'll be the exact same truth. How long are we going to waver between two opinions? It's okay, my friends, to... I don't think it's even okay. You know what label we should have? I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I happen to vote in this party or that party, but I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And if that party opposes in any way the word of God, I hold to the word of God. I can still be a member of the party, but I hold to the word of God because theology trumps ideology. And it's time to stop building. I said this before. It is time. We all have to do this. It is time to stop building our worldview on our opinion, on our experiences, and on our feelings. We have to stop doing that. Our children will not know which end is up. We need to lay a foundation. It is time to step. For some of us, it's time to step from one season to another. It's time for you to step from one season to another. Sometimes we need to take that next step. We need to take, we need to, in order to take that next step, we need to become the person that God has designed us to be. What I'm saying here is we have to be willing to shed, if you will, that old person, the person that we, we, we were in the, in the past. We need to shed that person. We, we, you need to be willing to shed the old, we need to be willing to shed the old clothes of winter to move to a new season, which is spring. Here comes the spring. Some of us are in a season of winter. We have winter clothes on. But what I'm saying is we have to move from that season to another season. In order to move from winter to spring, you need to shed the clothing of winter so that you can move to a new season of spring. And God may want you to change the seasons of your life. The question is, are we willing to make those changes? Are we willing to step out and make those changes as God calls us to make them? Are you ready and willing to adjust the way you are thinking and the way you're living? That's the question I have to ask myself. Am I willing to readjust my way of thinking and my way of living? Elisha's response was immediate. He had no hesitation or riding the fence. And I'll explain. You say, well, he wanted to go back and kiss his mother and father. It's not what you think. Okay, we'll talk about that next week. But here's the thing. He had no hesitation or riding the fence. What he does next, I love this. What he does next is absolutely astounding. Because I just told you, we have to have, this, we have to hold to this and we have to hold this. And we need to move from this season to this season. We need to, and now Elisha, Elisha is going to show us how, how to move from one season to the next. He's going to show us how. And I'll tell you next week. Let's bow our heads. God, thank you so much for this great day. And thank you, Lord, for challenging us. That's what we want. God, we don't want to just come here and and go through the, the same season of our lives and stuck in the same spiritual rut. God, we want to ask you that you would push us, that you would call us, that you would challenge us, that you would, that you would just come alongside of us and give, it what we need, give us what we need to, to understand what it means to move from the season we're in now to a different season of our lives, whatever that may be, Lord God. I pray that we would answer those questions about who is the Lord of our lives? Where do we find our identity?
And how long will we linger between two opinions? God, help us to answer those questions. We live in a very diverse world with different opinions and different ideas and different concepts and different ideologies. And Lord God, we need to be willing to stand on your word and not be moved. But at the same time, love people, love people with all of our hearts, love our neighbor as ourselves. But more than that, Lord God, before we can love our neighbor as ourselves, we need to love you with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. And that comes from knowing your word and press upon us the discipline, the motivation to study your word. So we can stand with you in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Have a fantastic week. Love you all.